Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Adequately Informed Podcast for Monday, May 17th, 2021. My name's Joe Hicks. And mine's Evan Kelly. And Evan Kelly, what are we here to do today? Well, Joe, I think that we're going to discuss a couple of topics. We are couple. going to... Yeah, yeah, you know, a couple of few, you know, in words. Ooh, um, we're we're going to discuss ideas and pull information from a variety of sources, trying to evaluate it in good faith, no matter where it comes from, assuming that other people are also trying to present the best argument possible. And uh, along the way, hopefully we're going to have a few laughs. Hopefully, you know, maybe, maybe we'll have a few tears of, of uh, you know, of emotion, of joy. Maybe, maybe we'll fall in love. Maybe we will. Uh, either way, we're going to do our best to help keep ourselves and our dedicated listeners adequately informed. Yeah, you know, we realize we aren't perfect. Uh, we don't know everything. We aren't looking down from the ivory tower. You know, we realize there's some blood and sweat in this. And, you know, if you're coming at us with good faith, we'll come at you with good faith. Hey, how about that? Hey. Boom, bam. Bing. So, Evan, how are we starting off today? Viewer mailbag. We have, uh, of course, a lovely cadre of listeners, and sometimes they write to us, and we want to make sure that we address their feedback and respond to it on the show because we love it, we want to encourage it, we want to see more of it. So that's how we're starting today. Viewer mailbag. And yes, you are viewers, not listeners to me. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, in the intro, you even said listeners, but now it's viewer mail. (laughs) <laughs> I think it, fewer males just works better, you know? It does. It does. Yeah. It's what I grew so, up with on TV. Yeah. <laughs> From the different medium. <laughs> um, maybe we should start, go, really go at it and call them readers. Readers? <laughs> yeah. Our readers. Um, so what, what, what do our viewers have to ask, Evan? I'm putting you on the spot. Well, I'm going to put you back on the spot because I'm first going to share... Uh, an important clarification that our listener Spencer sent in regarding our conversation last week about Mr. Clean. And Spencer writes, Mr. Clean is verse, but is surprisingly proficient at being a power bottom. And that is all I wanted to know. I think that it's clear, it's direct, it gets to the point, and I appreciate the clarification. Okay. Hi. So what else do we have, Joe? Oh man, I thought we were gonna you were gonna do this part. But anyway, we had an email from uh listener Michael. Um he had some questions um uh you know in regards to our t- discussion of the Supreme Court case with the cheerleaders and new spaces. And um essentially the question was is do individuals under the age of eighteen have limitations to access of constitutional rights. Um, And it's interesting because (laughs) historically the the Supreme Court has maintained kind of. (laughs) (laughs) Like, like I think this is part of what we uh, discussed as, um, you know, part of, the discussion was that children do have rights like the constitution you know still applies to them but it does not apply to them in the same way that it always does adults but then again 
um, you know, the more I've thought about it is, I mean, this whole scenario is it, it, it really is the whole crux of it all is the fact that it's a state institution. That's part of this, like the, the, the school, because like, you know, if you're at any sort of job or something, like we mentioned before, you do not have a constitutional right of free speech to rag on the job without consequences. So, um, but, but anyway, the, the, you know, you know, people under the age of 18 don't have the right to vote. Um, they have different sets of due processes, but I guess that's also like due process in of itself. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of when it gets into the realm of things going on at school, there is some questions about how maximally are they able to enjoy these rights because it is an institution of of learning. But then I also know the case is like outside of the school as well. Mm-hmm. So that's what that's what makes it complicated. Yeah, I think that my short response is, of course, she still has her constitutional rights. And of course, she still has the right to freedom of speech. But what we're going to have to find out is I think there's two questions at the crux, at the very core of this case. Number one, what is the reach of the school's disciplinary ability? The court will have to decide whether or not a social media post is grounds for schools to take disciplinary action. And then they'll also have to decide whether or not that speech that she uttered on social media is protected speech or not, and also whether the punishment that issued was fair and just. So that's what I think it's really about. Of course, she has the right to freedom of speech, but as we know, as all rights, our rights have limitations. So... Was the action taken by the school appropriate, or did it reasonably infringe upon her constitutionally guaranteed right? That is what we will find out in the court's estimation. And, you know, I'm glad you brought this up because I think this is a realm that we hadn't discussed in with the free speech debate, is that free speech often revolves around, um, like, protected classes or certain types of speech that are protected. And really the type of speech that we're really trying to look at is um, this the a certain category of speech that, you know, most of the people b- believe is like the truest form of what we understand freedom of speech is to be. And that is the freedom to talk bad about the government and its institutions without retribution from the government and its institutions. Mm-hmm. And... I, you know, in some ways it, this is kind of that, but it's like, this wasn't political. Like this person was just upset at, you know, being, you know, demoted from whatever cheerleading squad and like was frustrated. You know, it wasn't like a concerted political act. It Mm -hmm. was just like a venting. And yeah, it's not like she came with a detailed critique of the power structure of the cheer organization and the school writ large she just said fuck this fuck that i'm mad yeah 
And I mean, and this also like if you were applying for the a job at with the U.S. federal government or any form of government, and you had a, had a long history of like bad mouthing that institution, I I have a feeling that they would not hire you as readily as exactly. Else. <laughs> and remember, um, the school did not suspend her from school. She didn't face disciplinary action outside of the cheerleading squad. So just as you wouldn't be arrested for applying for a government job while having a history of anti-government sentiments, I don't see how an institution has an obligation to carry a member that is openly hostile to the goals yeah. and foundations of that institution. You know, if anything, this almost gets into like the freedom of speech should shield you from losing your, um, um, your positive like uh, rights in this. I, I don't know how to describe this, but like, it's kind of like when, um, Matt Gase or Josh Hawley, I forget which one, which one it was like they had a book deal and then they supported the January 6th riots. Hawley, and then, yeah. Yeah. And then they no longer had a book deal. And I was like, this is against the first amendment. And it's like, no, you don't have a right to, um, you know, book deals. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, where I think what we're getting at is like, we unquestionably believe that, children have a right to education, but do they have a right to, um, extracurriculars? Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, and go, go ahead. Because if it had been the case that like, you know, I, I, if I remember in her screed, she had kind of also dissed school. And if their punishment had to, to expel her from school, that would have definitely been a constitutional violation there because yeah. we definitely believe that children have the right to school and no matter what they really say, they still get to be part of school. But we don't Although have remember, it. students don't have a right to attend any particular school. You know, you can ex- you can expel students and I think that this would be an overreaction to expel her for this, but what's protected is their ability to access education, not their right to engage in any specific form of education, attend any specific school, or especially not to attend any specific extracurricular event. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think you have any, there is any protected rights for children for participation in extracurricular activities. But then, you know, I could say that, but then also, like, we get... You know, there are thorny issues of the day with like transgender kids in sports in, you know, like high school sports and all that kind of stuff. So I guess I I I may have made a bit to a broad statement, Um, but then but then you also get into like the different protected classes, whereas, you know, is sexual expression a protected class versus just not being good enough or like not making the highest cut and then like being kind of shitty about it, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, again, that's why this case is difficult. It's not clean. 
it's it's a kind of a thorny issue and it's like well there's a lot of things here that are some nuances and we probably would have preferred if it didn't come to a Supreme Court case because this does not seem broad, broadly applicable. And if we're <laughs> going to make a ruling on this, it's going to be probably way too broadly applicable. Yeah, so. I think the biggest thing that they're going to look at in terms of the broad application is can the school suspend her for something she does on social media? I, I'm getting the sense that there's not a lot of case law on a school's disciplinary authority over social media posts. And so maybe if anything, the justice's opinions will clarify the exact standard for that. If that, and if they actually understand what's going on. Well, true. Very fair. Um, Not the youngest, hippest crowd on that bench. Well, yeah, you see like uh, congressional hearings all the time where, I mean, I know it's Congress and not the Supreme Court, but members of Congress will just be like, why why does Google show all these bad results that bad talk me when you Google my name? Like, <laughs> they just, why won't Google play nice? You are deliberately being political by showing all the things that are bad to me. And it's like, sir, we just kind of chooses. We didn't. <laughs> so, yeah, that's what we uh, I hope this was clarification because I don't know if it was. But just at least an expansion on some of the ideas that we had talked about last week. So, yeah, Michael, go ahead and, uh, you know, fire off another email if you're unsatisfied. Uh, we got we got nothing but uh, airspace and time. Yeah. And there was one more bit of follow up from last week. Listener Aiden asked, how did Toucan Sam vote? <laughs> now evan I'll, I'll i since i sprung this on you i'll let you get to it and then i'll let you know what i think okay so toucan sam i think um is someone who was pretty disgusted by the political process for a long time and you know kind of felt like both sides were bad he didn't vote in 2016 and he never really liked trump but also you know he had all the counter arguments about hillary too but then seeing the the state of the nation in the last four years i think made him re-register and uh i think he voted for biden oh my gosh evan that's like exactly what i was thinking is it really <laughs> i so my mine's just <laughs> Minor details are a little <laughs> bit different, but my thought was that Toucan Sam was just like, you know, we talked about how the Snap, Crackle and Pop are like disinterested, but they still vote. Mm-hmm. Uh, Toucan Sam is the disinterested and doesn't vote. Um, so he has like no thoughts about it, but then he saw what was going on with Trump and really disliked it. So yes, he registered to vote. But then in 2020, he only voted for Biden and nothing down ticket. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. So I think that if we both came to that independently, that must be the truth. That this is, seems, that is, this seems to be the truth. <laughs> <laughs> There's wow. a science to this, guys. We are not yeah. just spouting shit. We have to really yeah. analyze these personalities. It's consistent between the two of us. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the Coen brothers directing a movie. You can ask either of them a question independently and they'll tell you the same answer. Yeah. So I think that uh that wraps up wrap up. But yeah. um thanks for listening, so, Aiden. Yeah. Yeah. So let's get to the meat of it. 
Hey, Evan. Hey, Joe. What do you want to talk about this week? You mean besides all the stuff I already talked about? Yeah, like your subject, your essay, your, 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 I, you know, I think there's a French word for what it is, but I don't have a French word for what it is. So go at it. Well, in plain English, I want to talk about the Hollywood foreign press, specifically Mm -hmm. the Golden Globes. The foreign press. Yeah. So in America. (laughs) What? So, yeah, for those of you who may not know, the Golden Globes are sort of the JV version of both the Oscars and the Emmys. Every year they have awards for film and for TV, and these awards are conducted by the Hollywood Foreign Press Association, or the HFPA. And this is an organization that is composed of foreign journalists, many of them from Europe, who cover United States entertainment topics. And over the years, the HFPA has come under a lot of criticism for a lack of diversity within their ranks. Um, It was recently revealed that they do not have a single black member in the HFPA. And it also seems like they are, for lack of a better word, star fuckers. They want big stars to come to their show, and so they will nominate performances that aren't really deserving or have no other buzz, or they'll nominate movies that are dramas in comedy categories just to get more stars. Uh, that happened to Johnny Depp one year for The Accidental Tourist. was not marketed as a comedy, nobody perceived it as a comedy, and then he was nominated for Best Actor, Musical, or Comedy. Uh, Um, And so there's also allegations of impropriety. Apparently, if a press campaign really wants to win a Golden Globe, they can just butter up the members because there's so few of them. I think there's only like 87 members in the HFPA, very small insular group. And you can get nominations or wins that way. There was recently... uh, It was revealed that the production team of Emily in Paris had coordinated that type of campaign and it scored some unexpected nominations even though its critical reception was a bit lukewarm and so the hfpa and the golden globes specifically have always been kind of a joke like we watch them in in the film community because we were just you know whores for award shows but nobody really takes the globes that seriously Until now, now everyone's all up in arms about it, and a bunch of celebrities are criticizing them for the lack of diversity, a lack of African-American acting nominees over the years, similar to Oscars So White, but just more vitriolic at this point. And it's, it's gotten so bad that Tom Cruise, beloved Tom Cruise, beloved Scientologist Tom Cruise, sent his three career Golden Globe Awards back to the HFPA office. He wrapped them up in a box and mailed them back in protest. And perhaps more influentially, NBC, which has a long-running television deal with the Golden Globes and the HFPA, has stated it will not air the next ceremony. They've stated that they don't believe that the HFPA is taking influential concrete steps towards rewarding diversity and reflecting diversity within their membership and at this point no matter what they do there will not be the golden globes on nbc in 2022 they've left the door open for the hfpa to make what are in their eyes more meaningful reforms and broadcast the ceremony coming up in 2023 but it has not been set in stone so 
basically the the TLDR of this all is the second most watched award show for movie fans has been dropped from the schedule by its broadcaster and the industry is rebelling against it as well and this has been dominating a huge amount of the entertainment news recently and naturally i have some thoughts hit us with those thoughts so so i have a maybe a bit of a contrarian take first and then i'll have a more mainstream take so my initial thought on this is that People have known for years, decades even, about the composition of the HFPA, and they've known that there hasn't been diversity among the ranks. And so something just feels suspicious to me that all of a sudden now everybody is making it a rallying point. It it seems like attacking the HFPA is something that's being done for clout and not for genuine concern with its practices. So that's a little, uh, along, it it feels kind of along the veins of like, I don't know when the Texas realtors association said they were no longer going to call master bedrooms, master bedrooms. (laughs) Yeah. It does kind of feel like that. Doesn't it like feels like there's a legitimate concern about diversity that is being channeled in a rather supercilious way. And, uh, however, I do want to also say that, and this is my hottest take on the matter, is that I don't know why people expect the Hollywood Foreign Press Association to have a membership body with diversity that reflects what our domestic diversity. Yeah, yeah, it's it's not like, you know, the Academy, I think, definitely has had legitimate pressure put on it to become more diverse because that's our national film body. And our national film industry body should reflect who we are as a nation. But the Hollywood Foreign Press is just sort of this quirky association of eccentric Europeans who like American media. And, you know, there certainly should be no barrier to diverse people entering into that group. But I also don't see why it's incumbent upon them to guarantee it in the way that it is for the Academy. And so... I I just am finding these critiques not ringing as true as the critiques of the Academy over the past few years. I mean, yeah, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm not as knowledgeable about this. But, you know, the Hollywood foreign press, I mean, isn't it just like a bunch of representatives from sent over by uh, organizations in Europe to come and cover Hollywood? Yeah, and as I understand it, a lot of them do live in Hollywood and they right. they live in America. But yes, they're not they're definitely as you said representatives of foreign nations. Right. And it, you know it it you know uh news organizations have bureaus in different places. And mm-hmm. you know, it'd be weird if like let's say, you know, they they're you know countries from all over the world send uh, representatives to London every year um, or just not every year, all the time. <laughs> and, and um, it would be weird if there was like an uprising because the, the coalition of London bureau journalists, their um, 
ethnic makeup was not similar to that of the English publics. You yes, know? I, I agree with that. <laughs> um, like, and, and I know like, I know there are people of color in Europe, but Europe is still a pretty white place. And it exactly. Would, it's, it's not to say that there are no black people in Europe, but on, on balance, it's just not as, diverse as we are here and so i don't know why you would hold that group to the same standard right and you know it would almost be like to introduce diversity into that it would almost like have to be deliberately done yeah i don't i don't know like this you get into arguments about things that happen here and you know the ones that you know feel like justifying racism but Again, I just don't know the processes for choosing Hollywood reporters for European agencies. And I I don't know if there's foul play involved. Whereas, you know, like you said, in the domestic context, we understand there to be like racial overlooking and all that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. I just don't know if it's the the same over there or you know if the standards we apply for our stuff apply to this like you said it it seems like a pretty elite group of people Mm -hmm. Um, like not not designed to be representative they don't claim to be an industry body that's all encompassing like the academy does it's 87 people you you know you may have a great amount of diversity in a group that small, but it's, it's a small sample size. You know, I don't think it's necessarily reflective of anything alarming that a small sample size doesn't end up being representative. Um, and I just think that you have to kind of understand the structure and the aims of an organization that you're critiquing, because there's a strain of criticism against the Academy that basically says, well, besides Parasite, every other Academy Award for Best Picture has gone to an American or British film, and, and there are great movies raid all around the world, and da 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 And I get that. I love world cinema. And a lot of years, my number one favorite movie of the year is something that's produced outside of the bounds of the English-speaking world. I get that. I, I love that type of cinema. But the Academy Awards is our national film awards. It's our national film body. So why shouldn't they pick an American movie most of the time? Like I said, there doesn't have to be a barrier for entry. Parasite is a fantastic Best Picture winner. Great movie. But I don't think the absence of more winners like Parasite speaks to any sort of improper bias it just isn't what this specific group is built to do they're built right. to watch consume review and award largely american films and that's okay in my book yeah like i feel like sometimes we we sometimes ask organizations to be everything for everyone Mm-hmm. And it's hard to do like certain institutions have a limited scope. Like I remember um, this was from way pre podcast times, but there was um, way back, you know, there was when they started letting girls into the Boy Scouts and this was a topic of controversy. And there was one line of it that was like, Hey, you know, this is 
um, leaving all these girls out, you know, what, you know, they can greatly benefit from what the Boy Scouts have to offer and all this stuff. But I was feeling like, yes, that can all be true. And yes, I don't want to discriminate against girls. But then also it's like, is it possible to have a space that is also just like a male designated space where boys can be together and do things on that level? And, you know, agree with me or not, it's just kind of like there there are certain spaces for certain things and it's not going to be everybody's space for everything. Yeah, we did actually discuss this on the podcast, I remember, and, and I think we had pretty divergent takeaways here. So I, I don't feel the need to rehash the entire discussion. Um, mm. But yeah, I, I think it's different when we're trying to cleave it along gender lines and access to clubs or institutions based on gender lines but i think the so, so that is something that i would maybe put a, a little pin in but other than that yes i understand what you're saying spaces are constructed for a purpose you know it, it almost is a very functionalist argument right the the you know the struct or structuralist argument that things have a structure and how they operate in the structure is the lens through which they should be analyzed and i i think that that is true of the hollywood foreign press association yeah it's just i don't know so here's my more mainstream take and this is where maybe i can get some people back if they're mad at me is that despite everything that i've just said i don't believe that any person in hollywood owes the hollywood foreign press a damn thing and if this is what it takes for them to say we don't want to play with you anymore and we don't give a shit about the golden globes i don't fucking care i won't miss it it's always been a joke and Hollywood gets to set the terms of its own award season. And if enough actors feel that the Golden Globes isn't something that they want to participate in anymore, and it builds to a critical mass where NBC says this isn't a good look for us anymore, if that kills the Golden Globes, so be it. They don't have a right to their platform if their industry base doesn't believe in their goal and their mission anymore. In fact, it's almost weirder that the Golden Globes have become elevated in the culture. And I think it's largely due to that lucrative broadcasting deal with NBC for all these years, because they're not the preeminent film awards. They're not the preeminent television awards. They're just kind of this extra appendage. And it may be time to admit that that vestige was uh that that appendage was vestigial all along and you know the death of the golden globes really wouldn't break too many hearts yeah and i mean i this is this also gets into the weird realm where like hollywood is like and the movie industry is like its own thing but since we all get caught up in movies and like to think that they speak to things in our lives. We treat it with a little bit like we treat it with more like societal rigor than we would other things. Like nobody's talking about the awards at the, the, I don't know, the, the pipe producers, manufacturing awards yeah banquet. nobody's interrogating the diversity of the committee that awards regional car salesman of the year 
Yeah. Like, and, you know, they can go off and do their own little things. And to me, as someone who is not as into movies, it, I mean, it all kind of seems like a farce. Like, it, you know, it's, if it's just, you know, people who are in the movie industry celebrating the the works that they make, I mean, that's fine. But then when it starts to get into broader implications of what these awards mean and they start meaning something to people outside of the industry. And, you know, I know that's because of the nature of movies, but it always just feels kind of weird. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I like my I like my used car salesman, but I'm not like going to start, um, you know, go crazy when he doesn't win regional car salesman of the month you know like (laughs) we understand um, that those awards don't carry i guess the same social uplifting power you know they're they're more for the people who are involved in it than anything outward you know yeah like there's the advertising awards that are the clios right and it's an industry award that rewards ads that advertisers think were well produced but if something wins a clio we don't hear about it we don't rush out and we don't say hey we have to watch this fucking ad right now but if we see that a movie wins an academy award that it wins best picture there's kind of this impulse to say oh wow this is what hollywood has chosen as the movie of the year or the movies of the year let's investigate that let's see what they're proud of right now what is the pinnacle of cinema right now in that estimation? Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's like partly, I mean, it, it really is part, it's the medium. Like the whole point of it is to get into everybody's households and they know what's like going on. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, regional car salesman, you know, it's, it's, I don't know, just some guy and, you know, maybe They're just selling you, a car. Yeah. You see his name around town, but you know, no one's caught up in and and nobody's like saying the the car salesman work speaks to them. Yeah, you it's, know, it's transactional. Like it's not symbolic. So I get why on both ends why it happens, but it still just kind of feels like this is this is all made up. Like none of this there the like we're trying to assert some sort of objective to this when it's all really just not it's subjective my sort of my final wrap up on it is going to be that i i am a believer in diversity full stop but the specific criticisms levied at the hollywood foreign press agency as articulated right now don't seem particularly damning at least not in relation to the blowback that they've received double but my second but in this sentence is that if this is the end of the globes that's fine so so it's the ultimate contrarian take i don't believe the blowback is necessary but i don't really care about the response or the consequences of the blowback (laughs) yeah like i think this this might not be the reason that i would say oh yes the globes must end but if this is the thing that ends the globes totally cool yeah well and i just thought it was funny it was uh uh, when the you know they were talking about the whole getting bought out you know like 
I, I don't know the whole thing, like the whole Hollywood awards thing just totally seems like a total buyout. Like, and then again, because I see it as just kind of a trades award, like what does it matter? (laughs) The way I always say it. And, and, you know, I, I love following the awards season. I talk about it on this show all the time, but it's every award show is just a giant movie commercial. And if you love movies, you don't mind watching a three-hour movie commercial. And it's really fun to see which movies are, you know, trending to get more airtime in the commercial and which movies are probably going to get snubbed in the commercial. But it is just a commercial at its core. Like, hey, these are the movies. Go see them. And sure, sometimes a big studio can muscle their way into affecting that. If you treat, uh, this is for any, any institution, the Golden Globes, the Academy Awards, if you enjoy it for what they are, a celebration of movies, but not a very good way to objectively assess and rank movies, you can have a great time with it. I think the mm-hmm. people who levy the sharpest criticisms against the award shows are the ones who don't fundamentally understand what they're supposed to be about. Yeah. Yeah. There, man, there are so many things in this world. If you take it lightheartedly, it is just so much better. Yeah. And if you take it to the most serious level, it is not good. <laughs> and you get let down like like kind of in this, you know, if you maybe think they, maybe the Academy just needs to rename best picture because it just our best picture or or just like. A movie we all liked this year. Yeah. Not doesn't roll off the tongue, but that's what Best Picture is. It's a movie that a lot of the Academy liked that you should probably check out if you want. It like I, people, I don't think <laughs> nobody really believes that the Academy is the arbiter of what was the best movie released in a calendar year. Nobody you know, should think that. <laughs> yeah. And like and Although Nomad Land is great and that was my favorite movie of the year. So. <laughs> But that hardly ever happens. Yeah. Well, and it's like, I've definitely heard people like, is the voting method used by the Academy, you know, creating social justice? And I'm like, is that a question that needs to be asked? But I I, I don't know. But but yeah, it definitely, I, I finally put words to it. It's like, there is some expectation that these award shows are like the Nobel Prizes for movies. Mm. When it's really more so like a YouTuber's top 10 list, you know? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like, like if you think of it more like that, it's way more enjoyable. (laughs) So, yeah. So, Joe. Evan. What would you like to talk about? I'm here to talk about sugar again. Um, Update. We should have an update update music. Yeah. (laughs) Just take uh, the the music we use like three times to talk about the presidential election and make that the <laughs> repurpose it. Yeah. Yeah. Because we're not going to have one of those for a while. And it turns out we talked about it way less than we thought we would. Update. Um, so what 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 is here to update? So I believe, yeah, I talked about it on the podcast last year. Yeah. I did. I talked about sugar, the the bad that is sugar. Sugar is bad for you. 
And so um, concluding, well, not concluding on uh, May 12th, just a few days ago, um, marked one year for me without drinking any soda, which congratulations. was, well, thank you. Big time. Congratulations. It was, it was a big hurdle. I mean, well, it was, bi- I'll, I'll get into it. So before that I was pretty damn addicted to sugar and soda, soda more specifically at the time. Um, because that was kind of my, um, chosen form factor to indulge my sugar addiction. And I was drinking so much soda. It was bad. Like the last day I uh, drank soda before giving it up, I drank like I downed like two liters of Mountain Dew and not good. (laughs) Like you don't, you don't feel super good when you do that. Um, like maybe in the exact moment when it's entering your mouth, it's good. But then afterwards, like, I, I don't know I, how to talk about it, but like something blood sugar, energy levels just feel like shit. And, you know, one thing I've I've learned in my research is that like your your body processes sugar in basically the exact same way it processes alcohol. Except alcohol, part of it, like 10% of it is processed in your brain. And that's what causes like drunk feelings. Whereas the rest of the process is in the liver. And like the biological process is basically the same. Which is why when I eat or consume a lot of sugar at any one time, it can contribute to feelings that are kind of like being drunk. Lethargic, low energy, you know, the likes. So... But anyway, so a year ago, I gave up soda. And how has it been? Well, one, it, I got really lucky. So when I started this, I have tried to quit sugar before. And um, and those who have known me have heard this story like a thousand times already. But I'm saying it again. Um, it's like I had issue, like it was like, I would go through withdrawal. Like, you know, if you've seen the movie Train Spotty, which is about um, heroin, you know, it, it it almost felt like that other times I tried to quit soda where I, did, you know. Did you see a baby crawling on the ceiling? No, but I was laying in my bed having like horrible withdrawals, <laughs> which not too dissimilar, um, <laughs> but not that intense, but, but of a kind, you know, mm-hmm. and... But this time, somehow, just miraculously, I didn't have all those cravings and all that desire to have sugar and all that kind of, you know, and go and get a soda. I was somehow able to, like, quit soda and it wasn't, like, threatening my life, you know, like, or my body just being like, hey, you need this. So I feel incredibly lucky. And with that, it helped actually keep me on the path more so than just it not being issue because I was like, holy shit, I got this golden ticket. Like this probably would not happen again if I like, you know, quit, you know, started drinking soda again and like went back at it. So I, I've been off soda, you know, besides a few, few sips here or there, mostly when McDonald's gives me the wrong drink. Um, (laughs) I have not had any soda. 
And you know what? So what I mean, are you drinking instead at like McDonald's or Wendy's? So I, I drink a lot of unsweet tea, just iced good. tea. I like iced um, tea. It's a good yeah, substitute. Yeah, and, and I didn't like it when I first started, but now I like really like it. Um, that Because, you know, I was so used to sugar in my drinks that it was like having unsweet tea. And I was like, what is this? I don't oh, know it's, about it's this. It's a big whiplash to that bitter, but it is good. Oh, yeah. I, I now love it. A McDonald's iced tea. <laughs> great i love it um and you know for a while i i was eating less fast food because you know i didn't know what to get to drink and now it's like oh basically everywhere has iced tea and i don't have to ask for water which is is often like quite weird when you ask for it at a fast food restaurant yeah like do you want a bottle i'm like no i just want the you know like the way you normally do drinks i just they're like what so (laughs) But um, I drink a lot of iced tea. I drink coffee. Um, I can drink coffee black. Um, but if I'm like having a meal, I'll put a little bit of sugar in there. But not like, you know, uh, uh, soda level sugar, you know, just a little bit of sugar just to, you know, just give it a little something. Um, but I, I feel like I can justify that because it's like, I don't know, I'm controlling it and it's just a very small <laughs> amount. But I also haven't like, I mean, I guess I've had a few sips of maybe some sort of juices and I've had margaritas, which have you know sugar in them. Um, but otherwise, I have not had soda or pretty much really any other sugary drinks. Um, and, 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 you know, I drank LaCroix for a while. I went really heavy on some LaCroix for a little while, but then I just stopped. <laughs> I don't know what happened there. Um so what what does this all come to? Have I lost weight? Am I feeling better? Well, um, I didn't lose weight um, because I also have other like eating issues. So um, this did not like make everything just come off. And slowly over time, I can't. And I did feel better, you know, when I'm when I'm off sugar fully. That means that my energy levels are more stable. I don't have like big highs and lows and all that kind of stuff. Well, more so the lows. The lows are like more pronounced and you have a lot of sugar and you just feel like shit. Um, So what happened over time was (laughs) because I cut out, um, I had originally planned to cut out all the sugar and then I kind of made a compromise that it was like, Okay, so the hard, fast line is going to be soda. And then the other things, you know, if they come up, it's whatever. Well, slowly over time, what happened was, you know, that small allowance to have like, I don't know, if I was at a birthday and I would have some cake or, you know, if there was, you know, I was going to go somewhere and get some ice cream with some people, I would get ice cream. Well, what ended up being that allowance just ended up me basically picking up my old sugar habit that used to be fulfilled by soda and doing it with like ice cream and cookies. Hmm. And so in honor of the one year, I've decided to also give that stuff up. Um, and it, you know, it's only been a couple days, but you know, sugar is not good for you and you know, it tastes good, but like even, much after consumption of it, you don't feel super great. 
And I don't want that. So I'm like trying to keep even more off of it. We'll see how it goes because like, I'm not going the full no sugar ever because that would mean that I wouldn't be able to eat most things, which I learned when I tried to first get off of sugar. Yeah. Um, and that's just, I'm not trying to do that. That's too cumbersome, um, for what I'm trying to do, but I can say no, like, um, foods that are sugar based and mm-hmm. that's what I'm trying to do now because it's, yeah, it, it, I don't see any benefit to me doing that. And I am truly an addict, you know, like I tweeted this out the other day, but it's like sugar is a drug, but we don't always like treat it as such. Like if you had a kid and like from the age of 16, you, you know, they drank like four beers every day, every day. Or more, you would say, you know, you would probably think that they would have a pretty high risk of becoming an alcoholic, right? Mm-hmm. Like, because we know that regular consumption of a substance leads to greater, um, leads to greater dependence. Um, yeah. And then also the starting at a young age thing creates a greater uh, chance of dependency. Well, I did that, but with soda, like basically once I had a car, I would go to like Thornton's all the time and get a big old, you know, 44 ounce soda. And that was pretty much every day. And sometimes Mm -hmm. I would have more soda on top of that. And so, and you know, I had had soda and, you know, other sugar when I was a kid too. And that probably started my addiction. You know, I had, you know, if sweets were in the house, I always had a bad time you know, trying to control myself around them. You know, it wasn't like I was just making bad decisions. Like it was something in my body that was like, I like feel like I need this. And so (laughs) it's no wonder that turns out I'm kind of addicted to sugar. So it's, it's, I, and, and it's just so, since it's so ubiquitous, it's hard to quit and even tried to make the claim that I'm going to like quit it all. Mm-hmm. But it's just, I, I, I have a feeling it's something I need to do. I'm hopeful. And it seems like I'm once again, going to be lucky and kind of not have these massive urges. It really just goes down to discipline. Um, but we'll see how it goes. Yeah. I, I applaud you and I am definitely wishing you the best um, because I know it's it's just really hard. Uh, you know, this is kind of the quintessential case of evolutionary mismatch, right? Sugar for early humans was awesome. When food was scarce, when it was hard to find things that were sweet and had sugar content, they provide that quick burst of energy. And if there's any left over, it gets stored as fat, so you can tap on that reserve later and so we developed a real taste for sugary things and sweet things well fast forward to now where you know as as uh most americans are not struggling to find food we're not foragers we have a pretty abundant food landscape and that taste for sugar has not gone away 
and that propensity for sugar to store as fat has not gone away. And so many people, myself included, you know, we, we crave the sweet stuff, and now we can just go to the store and buy it in vast quantities. And because we crave it, we eat it, and you overdo it, and it becomes a very big problem. Right. And yeah, it, you know, and part of it is that like, so, I mean, why do we like sugar and why do we get such a big kick out of it? Because there is nothing out in the world that's sweet that is, or that is naturally sweet and not fit for human consumption. Like everything that we have found out in the world that is sweet to humans is able to be eaten. <laughs> um, <laughs> so... You know, it's like, hey, this thing is sweet. I know I can eat it. Fucking dopamine. Go at it. <laughs> like <laughs> everything that your body says is good for you, like on an evolutionary sense, you know, it gives you a big old hit of dopamine. And um, and um, so that's why you have it. But then, uh, like you said, we have it available, but it's available at also such like higher doses than it otherwise would be like and mm -hmm. concentrated. So. You know, eating one apple, like, you know, we talked about this when we talked about sugar the first time. It's like, you know, if you eat one apple, you know, that has however much sugar, but then you also have all the fiber that helps your body process it and like make it not as fattening. Um, and then, you know, if you, and then it's, you know, like a struggle to eat like four apples because there's so much fiber and you would be pretty dang full. But then if you drink one glass of apple juice, it has like none of the fiber and all of the sugar concentrate from and those four apples. Sugar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you're just getting a mega dose of sugar than you otherwise would have, which our bodies are not super prepared for, you know, and it's like people are like, well, I'm able to control it and all that kind of stuff. Well, I, I, I really think it's a drug because it, it feels so similar at least in my experience to alcohol. So I do not have a problem with alcohol. Um, I, I'm even in the middle of doing this month of no drinking alcohol with some friends. And it's kind of like, why am I doing this? Like, I don't have a problem with alcohol. <laughs> I only really drink socially. I don't crave it. Um, you know, it's just something you know, when you go out to eat at certain times or, you know, it, it gives you an activity to do with people, you know, go out with friends or, you know, all that kind of stuff. And it's like, so why am I doing this? Like, you know, I'm not I'm not proving anything. I, I guess it's just more proof that I am not an alcoholic, you know, <laughs> but but there definitely are some people. And, it, it you know, and I would never say to an alcoholic, oh, well, I mean, I'm able to just stop. Why don't you just stop? Yeah. Um, because that's like they have, you know, I believe Leo in in uh, the West Wing says it best. It's like, I don't just want one drink. I want 10 drinks mm -hmm. and then I want another 10 drinks after that. That's that's like me with sugar. It's like I don't want just one can of soda. I want the whole 12 pack. You know, I want I want to keep consuming it like nothing else. And. You know, with any substance, there are, you know, it, you can be addicted to it, but not everybody's going to be addicted to it. Um, or at least to different levels. Like some people have escalating addictions. Some people have minor, you know. And so with sugar, it turns out mine is like an ex 
escalating addiction where it's like over time, I just continuously want more and more and more and more. Um, So, you know, I'm trying to cut it out and realizing that there is like really no acceptable level of sugar that I can intake where I can just be satiated by it. Hmm. So that's, that's a good thing to realize about yourself. And yeah, you know, we, we, we speak with the unearned wisdom of, of old men, but we're, we're young men, Joe, we've got time to figure it out. And yeah, you know, you've had some clearly some trials and tribulations along the way, but it sounds like you really are starting to understand what is dysfunctional in your relationship with sugar and Mm -hmm. i think that is a huge step yeah yeah well and it's just like i i i think this you know part of it i have been like self-conscious about my weight for so much of my life like my first attempt at weight loss was at the age of 12 which wow looking back is not really something that should have happened but you know 12 is like sixth grade and you know i would i thought i was you know coming into adulthood and you know you see all this stuff on tv about uh, you know childhood obesity and i was like i'm i'm child and and i don't know if i was obese but i i was like Maybe I was in my BMI, but, you know, I had a lot of muscle and I was kind of athletic, so it could have been the other way, but I just refused to believe that. So I was Mm -hmm. like, I'm going to take responsibility for myself. And then, you know, from there and there had like, so I've been at it a long time relative my age (laughs) Um, and seen basically all this stuff where it's like, man, you know how much health food has sugar in it? It's ridiculous. And, you know, they like like yogurt, like they used to or anything low fat. It's just like um, or, you know, most granola bars have a ton of sugar in them. And this, you know, in my younger years, that's the stuff that was billed as health food. And it's all just full of sugar, (laughs) like Mm -hmm. like like a a cup of yogurt has a sugar profile that isn't all that different from a soda like and and then all the fruit juices yeah it's the same thing it's like it contains a fuck ton of sugar even though it's supposedly healthy because it's of a fruit so it's just a lot of trial and error and you know that's also why i believe that you know they really haven't truly figured out weight loss because like, you know, I finally come to decide, you know, I have like discipline. I have willpower. I have the ability to think critically about my life and the decisions that I make, but I still come to, I'm eating a fuck ton and, you know, and I would have a fuck ton of sugar and it was seemed like kind of outside of my control. Mm hmm. And it's just something different. And, you know, if there, you know, the way I like to think about it is if there was really a real way to lose weight that, you know, was true and could be held long term, there would be no fat people. Like 
they would just do it. <laughs> um, you know, it wouldn't be a struggle like it is, but, but that's almost a different conversation, but really, um, here's another yeah, different yeah. conversation that I really probably should have researched more if I was going to bring it up, but here we go. Um, here we go. <laughs> I, I saw a headline that I didn't investigate about scientists working on a drug that basically all it does is it ramps up your metabolism. And so they're hoping that will fight obesity. Is that meth? <laughs> <laughs> you got me, man. That was a good one. I mean, uh, I mean really, <laughs> so there are weight loss methods that seem to work that are outside of the mainstream of what is acceptable. So doing amphetamines is a real weight loss technique. Um, if you have a, um, yeah. So like diet pills are basically just a controlled form of amphetamines. Um, that are like, ex, you know, deemed acceptable to give to people or something. And so that's something that can happen. Amphetamines, you know, raise your, you know, heart rate, you know, gets your gets your metabolism going. And it also makes you not want to eat. Um, so that's why people who do amphetamines end up looking like these wiry, you know, husks of humans because that's how the drug affects them. They don't want to eat and it just burns all the off their fat. Um, so, but that's not an acceptable version of weight loss. I'm, and I'm not saying like it, like this is what the experts don't want you to know. Wink, wink, because, you know, they want you to be sick. No, it's like that ain't great for you <laughs> um, wholesale and probably worse for you than than losing, you know, having the weight on you. But it is something like if you just look at wholesale solutions to losing weight, then yeah, doing amphetamines, it definitely works. Um, well, they're working on something less disruptive to the rest of your processes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then like the one that I really believe in and that is it. it is also hard to do is fasting. You know, it's like you said, People always talk about like gaining fat as like their reserves, but then fasting is what you do to access those reserves. But then a lot of times people will go, well, no, 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 no. Like that's, uh, that's unhealthy. It's like, well, what am I here for? You know, what's all this fat for to go when I don't have food? Like that's the idea of it. Um, so it seems like the science is coming. I mean, and at least metabolically makes sense to me, but, and it's also just hard to do because so much of our culture, well, everyone's culture is based around food mm -hmm. um, so much. You know, I have gone on fast before, even some pretty long ones. And, and you, you just kind of get mired with, oh, how much of my life was food based? <laughs> Eating, preparing, thinking about what to get, you know, for my next meal that takes up a lot of time in your day, but, but you know, it's, it's a method where you really are using your reserves and, you know, draining your fat. And then if you do it, you know, it, it's all complicated and this is all a different topic of conversation for another episode of adequately informed, but, um, yeah, it's, 
it, it it's something it's been my it's been a it's been a personal struggle but it seems to be getting better it seems that's to be really good better. yeah i'm really glad to hear that i appreciate it now now it's time for our ad from coca-cola <laughs> isn't it great we never uh this never took off and we didn't have to sell out yeah you know we're <laughs> man what was it with like the 90s where the whole thing like like the worst thing you could do was sell out i would love to sell out guys i'm sorry <laughs> listeners i love you all but you know if i could sell out i totally would you know, <laughs> it seems like a great deal. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, th- I think more and more people realize that at this point, you know, there's less of a less of a negative connotation about it. But I, I was a wee babe in the 90s. I don't know. I don't know what yeah. real big fish was on about. Yeah. Well, and I also like I, I recently watched a couple videos that were critique of like the stage show and movie Rent, okay. which also like seems to deal in that the kind of the idea of the noble starving artist where like your art is so much more noble through poverty than it could ever be with having money Uh, so selling out is like the greatest sin to your art well yeah because in rent there's that one guy the tay diggs character who like becomes a landlord and he used to be into their bohemian group, but now they hate him. It's been a long time since I've seen rent. So yeah. And I've never seen it, but I've watched a couple of video essays about it. So you should watch the thing, you know, you got to Deadpool it. Yeah. 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 I should watch the thing. Um, I'm a big fan of watching the thing or reading the thing. However, you got to interface with the thing, whatever thing people are talking about, see it yourself. I am not the the best at that, <laughs> but you and my brother both. You you guys, you're the same way. You'll you'll like read several articles or watch several videos about thing and never end up going back to thing. Well, yeah, because I already I already got all the information I need to know about it. <laughs> That's what he says too. I, I I understand it as a mindset. I just don't share it. Yeah, yeah. Different strokes for different folks, and I'm a different folk. Yes. So, yeah. Uh, do you do you have anything else you want to say on Sugar Evan? Any wonton thoughts? Well, yeah. Let, let me come in and let me just uh, authoritatively make statements about your life. I think that's uh, what I'm qualified to yeah, do. Yeah. Yeah. See, the, the real problem with you, Joe, is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm I'm good. I'm I'm hopeful that this is a positive step for you, and I think I think we had some entertaining fun and enlightening well, and you know, fun along you the way. You know what? I I'm gonna I'm gonna go on one more tangent here. It's interesting how how much like how dependent on things getting better in your lives better in your lives is dependent on things getting better in your lives <laughs> <laughs> like like i don't think i could have given up on this soda when i was at like the depths of my worst depression mm. and that and, you know, I was pretty down bad for a lot of years and I'm no longer down bad. So it's like and, and you know, that happened because of other reasons. But it's like it, it's almost like to get better in some things, 
your life has to get better in other things. Yeah. You know, and it's kind of like, what's that first step? And it, it kind of has to happen externally. Yeah. Um, and I'll jump in here because I actually believe very strongly in this, especially when it comes to food is if you are struggling with something else for me historically it's been unemployment although i am currently working a full-time job but historically you know if you're struggling with something it, it just is so tough to deny yourself that comfort of the soda or the cookies or especially for me the french fries like i i always kind of my internal self monologue is i can't be unemployed and be hungry right now like i can't right i can't do both of those things right now and so you kind of have once some like you said once something external changes and improves something for you you can kind of take on a sacrifice in another area that before you psychologically just could not bear yeah exactly like there was no way that I was going to be able to have the excess or the pressure that anxiety comes with, with doing badly at school, having issues with, you know, my social life, my romantic life and, um, you know, and the activities that I enjoyed, you know, have issues with all those and then also give up soda. <laughs> like yeah exactly. like that just that just wasn't gonna work but then you know once i got out of college you know i had no longer had the issues with you know feeling like i was doing bad at school you know i got a job and i was good at the job so i was able to feel like you know good about that you know i still had other issues but you know then i was able to make a little bit of progress on you know eating soda or, or drinking soda and it's like now i'm in like even a better place you know i i've moved back with my friends and family so i got a better social life going you know i'm not feeling as bad about that you know it, there is actually some hope that you know maybe uh, conditions will improve in my romantic life which is something that has also been like a big issue in my life and so so it's like i it, here, it, here's another big one for everyone we're finally starting to pull out of covid we're vaccinated things are opening like that's i think not an insignificant factor for a lot yeah. of people's personal turmoil over the last 18 months or so and i will also say also personally not the to no longer have the daily threat of donald trump being in office you know that, yeah no, that also helps my psyche at least you know and so, you know, when you're no longer dealing with all of these things, you are better able to deal with, you know, the the problems that you want to take on. I mean, how this is I mean, this is basically the theory of why rich people are better, you know, able to achieve things because, mm -hmm. you know, they don't have to take on the struggles of other things. They are able to devote their energy to greater you know, bigger or more esoteric, you know, or less profitable causes because they don't have to worry about the other things. Absolutely. So, um, I feel like there's like a, uh, like with that insight, there's like a mid 2000 self-help book, like how the rich get it done, how you can improve your life. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> Just make sure, just take care of your anxieties and then you can do other things. <laughs> just, yeah, just do so better. Yeah. yeah, just do better. Um, <laughs> so, 
I think that's all I have on that subject. Um, do you have anything else you want to say tonight? I know you've already said you congrats to me and all that stuff. You don't need to say it again, but, um, is that it? You know, I just want to say that in my survivor journey, we finished uh, season 30 survivor worlds apart. And that season was a fucking garbage fire. If you're watching Survivor and you're not wedded to watching all the seasons, that's a very skippable season. All right. That's all. Yeah. Evan coming in with the takes. So um, we'd like to thank you all for listening. We'd like to thank the people who gave feedback, who give us content. Um, (laughs) When you send in questions, that gives us content. Also, um, (laughs) as a preview a little bit, um, next week we're planning on doing a single issue episode on what's going on in Israel. Um, We got a lot of work to do. Um, So if you, any of you have any questions or I, I, I would say thoughts too, I guess, you know, if you have anything, questions or comments on you know, what's going on in Israel. I, I'm um, sure whatever them. takes the people have will be uncontroversial. This is a very yeah. cut yeah. and dried area. All 10 of you. Well, all I, I, I feel like our listeners have. So what can we do of to be of a service to you, the listener, um, when we talk about Israel in next week's episode? Um, so on that note, um, also, oh yeah, and thanks to Anthony Hish for the music. But Anyway, my name's Joe Hicks. And mine's Evan Kelly. And we hope that you've been adequately informed.